1: Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is so much science and you are going to get completely lost. You have no idea where you are, where you are going, where (laughs) you have been. That's our aim. That is what we achieve most weeks, I believe. Uh, Claire, how are you going to confuse and disorient people this week?
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know if I've really brought the most confusing story. Actually, maybe I have. Have you seen the cobweb the blankets of cobwebs that have been popping up in flooded areas around Gippsland? It's sort of gone viral on the internet?
1: yeah, I have seen that i'm like i I believe there's something that has' happened before, but like yeah, the latest league there's been a lot of that, and yeah. it's been in news overseas. people are going crazy about it. people Can going this crazy really
0: happen? it's yeah. it's it's the um it's the Gippsland spider. Takeover. Um, it sure seems like I'm going to get to the bottom of that, um, and by doing that, I've uncovered some pretty weird things about how spiders move around, uh, which has surprised even myself. So yeah, I am totally getting lost in lost in spiders today.
2: So you're getting you're getting to the bottom of how they got on top
1: of everything.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mm.
1: Um, I think I missed my chance when you said it kind of went viral that it is uh, all over the web. (laughs) But enough of that. Uh, Stu, what have you got for us?
2: Well, I've got something um, uh, that it is possible to be sure of, according to old sayings. Uh, Can you guess what that is?
0: Ooh, um, is it Death and Taxes?
2: Yeah, I'm not so concerned about the taxes, but the death part I'm going to be looking into a little bit. Um, Big, long study uh, by scientists from all over the world looking into whether or not humans can extend our lifespan beyond what we already have seen. Um, And I've got to say, uh, on the one hand... Not looking good on the other hand, um, maybe just a chance to change our perspective on on things rather than uh, mm. be, rather than be in the quest of this fountain of youth which people have been seeking for all of these years, so um, yeah, a little bit about some actual uh, good, solid biological research into this area and um, and what it means for people all over the place
1: good on you Stu always an earn half full kind of guy (laughs) on with the show
0: So it's been a big month for Victoria, another COVID lockdown, as well as huge thunderstorms and flooding that have seen incredible amounts of damage across the state. Winds, the rain, the storm, it was all very intense. It brought down trees, caused flooding, left thousands of people without power and lives were lost in the floods as well. It's been quite an intense time. But there have been some photos circulating around the web um, that show an unexpected side to the flooding. So photos of the landscape obscured by a blanket of white spider webs. Now, you've seen them, obviously, as you alluded to in the introduction. Yes, Mm -hmm. you've seen these photos.
1: Yeah, can you describe them for us, like what they look like?
0: Oh, I mean I can't really do the photos justice, but just imagine I guess, you know, um Gippsland is famous for uh for its green fields where dairy cows sort of hang out and, and eat in pastures, rolling pastures and rolling hills, um, and covering the top of every single sort of pasture and hill and um and Uh, tree is just this blanket of white cobwebs that Mm. sort of uh, moves as one in the wind as well. Mm. And you can sort of see all these like tiny little spiders that are in it as well. They're pretty incredible. Uh, Now, obviously it's causing a lot of people to wonder what the flood condition, what sort of flood conditions have resulted in a sudden increase in spider population. But after doing some digging slash spinning it turns out that no um there isn't a sudden you know increase in um spider population but it's all about spider distribution so that is these spiders have been always there but because of the flood they've been flushed out of their little spider homes a la Wincy spider
1: yeah i was wondering about that because you know when you encounter spiders in the bathtub, for instance, they don't seem to be that keen on water. You wouldn't expect no. that the the floods would increase their population.
0: They, they're they not keen on water at all. And they're not that keen on each other either. So the fact that they are all hanging out together um, in a sort of like um, their own sort of life raft that's been created by their by sort of a collection of their webs together sort of gives you an indication as to how much they don't like the water. Um, so, yeah, so these spiders that normally live in the ground um, in their thousands have been flushed out because of the floods um, and to to get out of the ground and get to safety very quickly, they've uh, created their own emergency parasail to save themselves from drowning in the form of um, um, a tiny little bit of web. So these huge amounts of webbing that we see Around Gippsland, this blanket of web. It's got nothing to do with the spiders uh, spinning this web to catch food um, at all, as we normally, you know, understand webs to that the job that webs do. And it's got everything to do with just getting away quickly from the floodwaters. So think Spider Man, because I know that's where your brain goes mostly, Uh, Chris, Stu. um, Think Peter Parker. And how he gets around building to building in a flash. Um, he uses his silken thread, you know, pew, pew. It, it, it pulls him around. He uses it as a mode of transportation. Well, this natural phenomenon is, I mean, it, you know, he's Spider-Man for a reason. This is just mm-hmm. spiders doing their Peter Parker before Peter Parker did his Peter Parker. Are,
1: are you saying that Spider-Man is scientifically accurate?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I am saying that. Wow. I know, right? I think
2: I think Peter Parker, if he wants to fly, has to actually catch onto an aircraft or something though. His his web doesn't seem to be able to hold him aloft like a spider.
0: Mm, true. He sometimes has
1: like these kind of underarm webs that he uses to get around but that's going too deep nerd. okay
0: we are we're, <laughs> yeah. we're going deep we are going deeper aren't, aren't we okay
1: I had a question though um, what kind of spiders are these
0: well it's it's every kind of spider they're they're tiny little spiders that live in the ground and in the in, in the soil um, uh, it's any sort of spider that needed to get away very very quickly um, oh, so it's not just
1: one species that's doing it
0: no, 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 no. It is, wow. it's spiders. <laughs> it's just all spiders.
2: So do you think they all get along when they, they sort of all like, oh, how did you end up here? Oh, I just, I just came on my little silk parachute. Do they, do they eat each other and stuff or, you know?
0: Yeah, spiders are known for being cannibalistic with, with um, their own species. So I imagine they would be uh, pretty bad neighbours to one another yeah i don't think they i don't think they like being there which means that as soon as the flood waters dissipate a bit then they're going to go to going to try to get back to um their original homes um but so this idea of i guess spiders moving around being transported uh is there's there's a name for it it's called ballooning um now in my opinion this isn't a great name uh because it lacks an obvious object that you would expect when naming an activity ballooning. Um, But, you know, I guess it gives you a picture of a hot air balloon, you know, using a web as a hot air balloon. Um, And ballooning isn't just something that you see when there's a major habitat-disturbing event like flooding taking place. It happens pretty often. And normally when it happens, it's when baby spiders are dispersing from the larger nest so like i said before spiders are cannibals to their um to one another in their own species so once they get big enough in their own nest um the quiz the quickest and easiest and safest way to get away from your brothers and sisters who are about to turn around and eat you is to um, balloon away. So that's actually how um, these baby spiders can be transported over incredible distances, sometimes only a few metres, sometimes it can be up to, um, well, it can be up to kilometres and um, and uh, there's there's been reports of, of ballooning spiders being found like way out at sea. Um, you know caught caught on ships and that sort of thing so that's that 's pretty and pretty incredible way to travel so the way it um, normally happens is a spider normally you know a little hatchling will climb as high as it can, stand on raised legs with its abdomen pointed upwards i don't know if that's what um uh, Peter parker the spider man does as well. I do think so. <laughs> and releases several silk threads from its spinnerets into the air. So these threads then form this sort of triangular-shaped parachute and the spider is then carried away on the updrafts of winds. Um, Now, in a fascinating twist, the spider may even achieve flight if there's no wind in the air. It can actually tap into electric fields in the air and fly away um, on electric fields, which sort of sounds like a song or something like that, or a <laughs> trip or something.
1: So electric spiders are all over Gippsland.
0: I mean, electric spiders are all over the world, pretty much. They are using this to transport themselves. It's normally only spiders um, who are... Um, pretty light because um, their webs can't sort of hold them if they're too heavy, but they do travel on electric fields. So yeah, the air is, you know, the air air is slightly slightly electrified at certain times. It can carry a voltage of around a hundred volts per every meter above the ground. And spiders can detect electric fields with their tiny hairs on their legs and feet. Now, if they do detect an electric field, they change their behaviour. Um maybe they start to climb upwards, release a strand of silk, and then they start ballooning. And this has actually been proven experimentally uh, by placing spiders um, on cardboard in the center of a box and then isolating them and then applying an electric field and then they go do 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 and they do their ballooning. So this sort of <laughs> this is pretty crazy but I do love it um and there you go uh, pro- probably more information than you ever wanted to know or ever um you know thought you would know about how spiders can transport themselves and like I said it's only the small ones that are doing it um so you for people who have arachnophobia or yeah well pe- for, for people who have arachnophobia out there you don't need to be too worried Don't get out the insect spray just yet, because remember, you know, this incredible ballooning and um, transportation via via the web um, is a natural phenomenon. And um, before you know it, the spiders are going to be heading back underground. They will be out of sight and doing their darndest to keep insect numbers and mosquito numbers under control again. And, you know, maybe they'll just keep their ballooning as a weekend hobby.
2: Science. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science. Our ongoing mission to explain strange new words. To seek out new science and new explanations. To boldly go where no radio has gone before. An 18th century quote which is often incorrectly attributed to Benjamin Franklin says it is impossible uh, It is impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes and while billionaires do okay at the second part the first part remains a certainty pretty much um, to steal a quote from a time traveller and mythological figure you might be a king or a little street sweeper but sooner or later you dance with the reaper <laughs> Um of course. Are you
0: going to explain that a little bit more? Oh look,
2: that's that's uh Death himself from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which if you haven't seen right. it, you do you do have to love the Grim Reaper as a comedy character, I think. Um Now that doesn't stop people throwing billions of dollars a year at the problem of aging, and market analysis puts the value of the anti anti-aging industry at over 60 billion dollars worldwide annually um, and that is you know expected to grow of you know as industries are wont to do. Uh, but there's long been a debate in scientific circles over nature versus nurture and this is very important in the approach to extending human lifespans. So whether a people are born with a fixed time on some sort of biological clock or whether their lifestyle has a bigger impact on how many years they get to spend on Earth is a major question. Uh, Back in 2016, scientists at the Salk Institute figured out how they could switch genes on and off to revert adult cells into juvenile cells, which behaved Mm. more like embryonic cells. And that work led them to believe that they could reverse the impact of the environment on cell aging and possibly on the aging process itself in organs or whole organisms. And this led to something of a biotech startup bubble in the anti-aging field, probably a bit overshadowed by more recent uh, events in the biotech area. Um, But that doesn't stop speculators from putting the value of anti-aging biotech somewhere between $400 billion and $600 billion by 2030. Um, But gene expression, it turns out, isn't everything in the anti-aging game. And this bubble may just as easily burst because, as we know, mouse cells, which is what these experiments were conducted on, do all sorts of things that end up being irrelevant to human beings. Uh, One theory in genomic circles suggests that biological aging may be linked to biological development in ways that can't be changed by the environment, or at least they can't significantly be changed by the environment. So this is called the invariant rate of aging hypothesis, and it has been put to the test by a collaboration of scientists from 14 countries, to see if they could find evidence that lifespans are fixed, more or less. Now, human life expectancy has been increasing since the 1800s, due to advances in medicine and in engineering, which have improved sanitation and other factors, which have in turn reduced disease among humans. But life expectancy is just an average, and it's really only useful in hindsight. You can compare the age of someone uh, or, or the age of someone born on a particular date and how long that person is likely to live based on the average of the entire population. So high infant mortality in the 19th century dropped rapidly. So babies and young children lived longer uh, very quickly because they had improved living conditions which increased life expectancy across the board that's how averages work it's an average increase in the life of Mm. everyone so your expectancy goes up on average um but in their work published this month in nature communications the researchers showed that longevity hasn't really changed much at all that is individuals may live longer but the the highest possible length of life has not increased at the same time.
1: Is there a name for that as opposed to life expectancy? Um,
2: It it is longevity is one way of putting it, but they also refer to it as lifespan equality, which is something that that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, So the technology and changes to the environment have increased the chances of survival in younger people, but not extended the life of the oldest people by very much Uh, And this was checked across multiple cultures in this research and different ethnicities to look for anomalies between environments and and different cultures and all of those possible confounding factors, and they didn't find any significant difference uh, in any particular group of humans. So humans live for about as long as they live, regardless of how they live, as individuals. So the longest-lived people in all these different cultures lived for around about the same amount of time. Hmm. Uh, and then, just to be tricky scientists, they applied the same analysis to other primate groups. So they looked at baboons and gorillas and chimpanzees and capuchin monkeys, and they found similar lifespan equality in each of the species, it's very similar to what they found in humans. So the, the longest-living monkey or the longest-living gorilla uh doesn't increase regardless of what environment it lives in, regardless of its environmental conditions or what time of, you know, when it was born or when it, you know, when it existed. So these lifespan equalities are are the same uh, within the species um, and there's not much variation uh, in those, in that, uh, the longest lifespan, to put it that way. So the lifespan equality means the maximum lifespan of An individual in a species doesn't change regardless of environmental factors. But the environment does influence life expectancy because that's an average across the population. Um, So ultimately, uh, what this does mean is that it's unlikely with our current understanding of genomics and ageing processes that simply stopping the process of ageing will meaningfully extend the quantity of people's lives, but we can instead maybe focus our energy and our medical science on improving the quality of life people have because we can't make it any longer. We might as well just make it better.
1: Well, that is something that you hear a lot when people talk about, the idea of extending life or people living longer is, do you want to live longer if you're not going to have a poor quality of life? But I think you can see that expectations of old age have changed a lot that quality of of old life has improved you would think as well as um, as technology and and medicine has improved too
2: I think and and there is definitely something to be said for um, you know reversing the the worst effects of aging I mean a lot of a lot of the language around aging you know people don't say someone died of old age anymore they say they died of a particular illness or a particular medical problem which causes people to die and and i guess we can we can work on those things even though we're not going to live forever we can live uh as long as we've got but in a much better and healthier way i guess
1: And that is it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is, of course, recorded in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, or 3CR. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Now, we would love you to get in touch with us if you are so inclined. If you wish to do so, you can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or, if you like, you can find us on Facebook. and send us a message. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or you can find us on Twitter. We are at Lost in Science 1. Uh, you can also find us in your local favourite podcast app. If you have the opportunity in such an app to give us a rating or a review, please do so because that helps lift us up in the search rankings and then other people can find the podcast and share the science love Or, look, however you have listened to this episode, please do it again next week when, once again, at the same time, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost Lost in in Science!
0: Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast.